And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and I'm joined by my producer and co-host. Writer later. Hey, guys. And today we're going to talk about the interview I did with Jim Goad. Now, we didn't plan this ahead of time. Uh, it's kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. But we discussed it today. We discussed the interview. And, uh, you know, we, it was an interesting conversation. And we thought, you know what, instead of having this private conversation, why not assess the interview uh, as a podcast so that everybody else can hear our thoughts and, and get our feelings and my feelings basically on, on how the interview went. I enjoyed the interview. It, it went really well. But I, I had a little bit of a different take than, uh, than my, than my co-host. Um, my co-host is a big fan, huge fan of Jim Goad. He's the one that uh, encouraged me to interview Jim Goad, and I'm definitely not sorry about that. Uh, but uh, we definitely have a different take on Jim Goad, and uh, and we discussed that. Yeah, yeah. I should also say that uh, I definitely concur with him. Uh, the sentiment of it being a great interview, and uh, I think I've listened to probably all of uh, Jim Goad's interviews, and or at least the ones that uh, aren't behind paywalls. And I did think that that was uh, really interesting. Maybe it could just be because uh, he's a great conversationalist, but uh, either way, I, he 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 would talk about certain things and he divulged details that I hadn't either read about or hadn't heard him talk about before. So in that sense, I thought it was a very interesting interview. But you kind of had uh, an interesting uh, uh, another take, kind of being the one who was interviewing him. Well, I enjoyed the interview, and I and and he is a good conversationalist. He he did a good great interview. Um, and I, and I, my mic apparently was a little bit low for that interview, so I apologize to anybody that that w wasn't happy about the sound quality. Um, his mic was nice and loud, and uh, for some reason I had my I didn't have my levels turned up properly. But uh, that aside, I, I'm just not as enamored and as impressed by Jim Goat as as you, apparently you are. Um, his he he tries to be a contrarian. I, I I my the way I live my life. And the way I, I I approach things, I just say however I feel. Now, if that agree, if that if my positions are the same as everybody else's, so be it. If my positions are completely the polar opposite of everybody else's, or anywhere in between, whatever it is is whatever it is. I don't adjust who I am or what I am uh, to uh, to you know fit what other people are doing. I don't go out of my way to disagree with people. I just I believe what I believe, and and wherever that falls. That's where it falls. Uh, I feel that a lot of things he says and does that he he goes out of his way that it's contrived, that he goes out of his way to be a contrarian. Even when I was having conversations with him, we could be in full agreement on something, and he would respond back in such a way that he would reword it and and restate it in a way that it was almost like we were we, even when we agreed we were still disagreeing. There was still some contention, and uh, I, I thought that was I thought that was a way of being. Uh, you know, to try to set set himself apart uh, unnecessarily. Yeah, I should say that to what why we kind of why the discussion we had earlier why we why I thought it was so interesting is that he was he brought up his points about it. And it's basically that he thought that if you actually listen to the conversation, maybe you don't get as much of a sense of it. And I certainly didn't, or at least uh, before discuss before actually discussing this. But uh, it seems like every time uh, uh, CA or conservative atheist made a point, uh, Jim Goad would immediately basically concur with it but he would put a different spin on it to redeviate a little bit and i found that to be kind of odd which i it makes me think because one of the things that i liked about uh, jim goad and one of the reasons why i wanted to interview him and one of the things i also like about uh, uh conservative atheists which i i can attest to this being the case with conservative atheists is that they're really are anti-herd they really they seem like that they're both anti-herd animals 
and they're just not susceptible to a lot of the bullshits and they can call out a lot of the nonsense that you see with people. And obviously, uh, uh, Jim Goad seems to portray himself that way. And uh, that's one of the things I like about him. And uh, at, at, at times, I thought that's why I thought this would be such a good interview. And obviously it was. But uh, the more I get to kind of look at him, I'm starting to think that maybe that's just kind of a facade. Basic and mostly kind of what's conservative atheist is to what extent is this kind of shtick of, uh, oh, of, uh, you know, I have a contrarian position and my position's novel. Is that really just kind of a facade? And that's him just a... Uh, and that's just him trying to basically force his positions and, and deviating a little bit away from what anyone else says or what kind of the, uh, I guess what you consider kind of the conventional opinion to be. The goal should never be to set yourself apart. The goal should be is to be who you are, whatever that is. I don't try to be me. I just am me. Right. And, and, and however that works out. If everybody loves it, that's fine. If everybody hates it, that's fine. If people are indifferent, that's fine. Whatever Whatever the case may be. But I don't try to set myself apart. I don't try to have the contrarian view. I, I don't try to be controversial. I just simply state what I, what, how I feel and the way I think and my positions on issues uh, as unfiltered as I possibly can. Yeah, and we should say kind of what's uh, germane about this is that uh, I think uh, Jim Goad does really want to be portrayed and kind of purports to be this guy that's uh, against all the bullshit and kind of can sense it out and he can see how... I mean, he, he talks, uh, he talks that uh, one of the transformative periods in his life was reading Beyond Good and Evil by Nietzsche, and Nietzsche talks about a lot of this, and he even referenced it in the podcast. But uh, I, I think the, the crux of the problem here is that uh, if you're just trying to take a contrarian opinion just to be a contrarian, then you're ultimately part of the herd, and that you're, it, it seems like if you're trying to just uh, deviate your opinion a little bit from what everyone else has to say, you're ultimately just trying to stand out a bit, and that means that you ultimately care very much deeply what people think. Yeah, it's 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 the, it's the reverse of what you're claiming. You're claiming is you're claiming that I don't care what other people think, while going out of your way to to convince other people that you don't care what they think. Now, if you truly don't care what you what other people think, you don't need to convince anybody of anything. Yeah, I, I think some of the times that uh, maybe I've I, I, I've said this before, but uh, I find this is some of the things you say that some of the things you you say they almost seem like uh, they almost can come off as like a bit milk toast or a bit conventional like when you kind of praise like uh, a lot of the conservative positions and but the problem is you're doing that because that's actually what you hold and that's what you believe and i i almost wondered if jim got a, got a sense that that's what you were doing and he's like oh well, the republican party is kind of bad or they don't really uh, stand up for a lot of the things that uh, i supposedly believe in so i can't quite uh, endorse what he's saying here and then he would just but he would do it in such a way that he would just deviate slightly from what you were saying which it didn't seem to, it, it like we said, it just seems so contrived. Yeah, man, manufactured disagreement is is not really disagreement. Manufactured, uh, you know, standing out from the crowd isn't really standing out from the crowd. It, what it is is it's it's and I, I tried to tell when I, I used to go to Ohio State University a long time ago, long long time ago, before some of the people that listen to this podcast were even born, and. You know, there would be people, there was the, the mainstream culture, everybody wore the same type of uh, rain slicker, everybody wore the same type of pants, everybody, you know, it was herd mentality. So it was group think. Then there was the, then there was the, uh, the, the, uh, the alternative people. They, they would, you know, they would have the piercings, they would have the, the, the purple mohawks, they would have tattoos, they had all these things, these, you know, these crazy looking outfits. But one thing I noticed when I sat back and looked at the two groups is they were both they were both herds, right? They, it, it was groupthink because if you really look, took a good look at the alternative kids, they they basically they still they all had similar styles, 
and they repeated and they intim and, and they uh, they imitated a lot of each other's uh, styles. And so they they weren't really they were still conforming, but instead of conforming to the mainstream culture, they were conforming to the counterculture. That it's still conforming. Conforming is conforming. It doesn't matter if you're conforming to the mainstream or the counterculture. It's irrelevant. Groupthink yeah, is group groupthink is groupthink at the end of the day. And you know, this this guy trying to go out of his way to to be a contrarian and go against what other people say just simply to stand out as as a as an individual. If you're an individual, you don't need to try. That's the whole point. If you're trying and and it concerns you, then then you're not doing it right, in my opinion. Right. I definitely concur with that. I, I think a part where I'm kind of reassessing or not as much reassessing because I still do like him and I still do read and still do, I still I before the the day before I was actually reading a bunch of stuff on him, which unfortunately I wasn't able to interview him because uh, he gave a time that was not uh, amenable to me, but because uh, I was doing something at the time. But uh, the the thing I find kind of interesting and in, uh, kind of uh, assessing why I like him so much is I think in a way I kind of take him as kind of like one of those gonzo journalists, which I think he's identified himself as where they can do things that aren't, are unconventional and they can have kind of their own kind of weird spin on it. And maybe it seems like a, there's ultimately like an adventure and they're kind of front and center in this, which I understand why people like that. And there is maybe a sense of adventure in that, but I'm starting to think that maybe that's ultimately a dud from the standpoint of them actually being original. Cause it ultimately is just them wanting to try to upend all the norms that they see. And in doing that, they're probably not being genuine about their, what they're doing. And I think that's a, that's a big part of a, kind of, I think, kind of Jim Goach stick, and I think kind of gonzo journalism as as well. Like they're, they're doing things that they normally wouldn't do just to upend everything. Right. And which kind of defeats the purpose in my, in my mind. Yeah, it just seems, I mean, like we said, it just seems like kind of a contrived and kind of forced thing where you're, you're not doing what you would normally do. You're just doing what uh, people, what you think people would think is cool or people would approve of and think that, well, that's kind of a contrarian person, which... The problem I have with this is that, uh, or kind of my main gripe with uh, Jim Goat on this is that uh, he seems to be someone that wants to say, oh, I'm I'm tired of this BS and the, kind of the right and the left and I can call it out, blah, blah, blah. But he's ultimately doing, in a way, kind of propagating the same BS and that he's he's susceptible to this and he's just trying to impress people just by taking like a seemingly contrarian position with a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I'm with you. I don't have anything against the guy. I think the, guy's, I think the guy is, is clever and humorous. I really do. I, I listened to one of his uh, was it uh, black black joggers lives matter or something like that, and yeah. uh, it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. He had, I, I, he, had, he had some musician that was his his second banana or his uh, co host or whatever, uh, and and it was funny. It was really funny. Uh, I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah. you know that 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 aside, I'm not assessing. I'm not assessing all of his work. I'm not saying that he's not a talented writer. I'm not saying that he's not a you know comedian. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just simply saying that this notion that he's that he's apolitical and that he's he's just interested in and in, uh, going his own way and that he's just this uh, this lone wolf. It's it's all manufactured. It's all in my mind plastic. He, he, maybe there's some there's some nugget of truth. There's a core truth to it, but. Then past that, he he goes overboard to prove it. And again, I, I hate to beat the same drum, but if you're going overboard to prove it, if you're if you're you're putting out effort to prove that you're an individual, then you're not an individual. Yeah, I, I think a good vignette underscoring this, which he he'll bring up sometimes, is that uh, 
like Jim Good writes for some pretty far right publications, which he writes for Countercurrents, which is explicitly white nationalists, which neither of us endorse, and that's that is the truth. But uh, one of the things that he'll talk about is that he'll have lunch with like some of these like uh, I guess white nationalists or white nationalist adjacent people, like uh, some guy named Sam Dixon who uh, actually has been a speaker at every single Amaranth, and uh, I guess he lives near him in Georgia, and a guy named Peter Bimley who started VDare. And I guess in sometime in these lunches, he'll constantly, he, he likes to bring up how they'll ask him, oh, are you a white nationalist? And he says no. And they'll be uh, seemingly uh, uh, dumbfounded by that because he writes for all these publications. And part of me wonders if he's ultimately there just uh, trying to kind of stick out or trying to deviate from them in a slight way and be like, oh, I don't believe in this, even though I write for all the publications that I write for publications that explicitly espouse this. And I, I'm, I'm starting to think that that, in a way, that was him like uh, sticking out from the herd. But now I'm starting to think that that's just him, kind of just doing like a, I don't know, a, I guess kind of like a dip and twirl from what they originally uh, say, and just trying to impress them in some way, and try to say, oh, I'm above this, I'm not part of you, you know, or I'm a little well, bit different. What my position well, it, is, it, it's almost like he engages in these things. He he writes for these publications, and he involves himself in people that are doing these things. But then he wants to be he wants to be the outsider in every situation. Right. So he's not he's not he's not happy with being the outsider in mainstream society. He wants to join the counterculture as well, various countercultures, and be the outsider in those countercultures. So it's all about it's all about the spotlight being on him. It seems like to me, and I, I know this sounds like harsh criticism, but this is my honest take. It seems like it's it's this it's like look at me, look at me, look at me, and. Um, I'm a much bigger fan, uh, Gavin McGinnis fan, but then again, I've never sat down and had a conversation with Gavin McGinnis the way I did Jim Goat. So maybe if I had a conversation with Gavin McGinnis, maybe I would come away with the same impression of him. I, I don't, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I would say with a lot of this stuff that, uh, and we should say with Jim Goat that some of this can kind of be chopped up to him just being kind of a narcissistic person in general, which he fully concedes to, and especially like kind of this attention seeking which I guess is what it is with, with someone like Gavin. I think he's very much kind of the same personality, but uh, Gavin, maybe, maybe the reason why I don't like Gavin as much is that Gavin doesn't concede this and he's kind of much more, he's a, uh, he's seemingly much more brazen about it. Like I was uh, the last clip I ever saw of Gavin or the last clip I've seen recently of Gavin was uh, him discussing debating a guy named destiny. Who's a kind of popular uh, left-wing YouTuber. And he was going on a, a, a rant about how, uh, oh, well, look at this millennial destiny. He calls himself destiny, which is the most pompous thing ever. And he's like, this just underscores how uh, how narcissistic and worthless millennials are. And I'm like, I just don't think he under quite grasped the irony and everything he was saying. <laughs> like, if you actually look, judge his own behavior, which just kind of shook me. Well, one of, one of the things I brought up during the conversation with Jim Goad, and, and I'll bring it up now, is that, uh, you know, Gavin McGinnis, I felt that he abandoned the Proud Boys when they needed him the most. And of course, Gavin, of course, Jim Goad said this, and I've heard other people make this argument that the reason why Gavin McGinnis left is because he was the de facto leader, or he was the he was the uh, the founder of the Proud Boys, or one of the founders, and that him being around made it a group, a gang, and then they could come after them more easily if they were a gang. So, how is stepping down as the leader, and having somebody else step in as the leader? eliminate there being a leader there's always going to be a leader of every group and organization that's just the way organizations run and so he stepped down for somebody else to take the place take his place how does that keep how does that change anything i i mean i like gavin mcginnis i'm a fan of gavin mcginnis i've, I've seen him on television I, I think a lot of the things he says is funny um he's an amusing guy he's a clever guy 
you know, similar to the things you've said about Jim Goat. But but the idea that he did this for the for the own for the good of the the Proud Boys, I, I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. I think yeah. that he was they're coming after him hard and his and he pulled the ripcord. He he uh, you know, he he uh, he exited the vehicle. He jumped out. He he ran off and uh, decided to hide away and and uh, take himself out of the limelight as much as possible for a while, just so that things could die down and and he wouldn't be hounded so hard. Now I, I honestly think that was the the reason. I I think it was selfish motive. I think it was motivated by by selfishness. I I don't think it was because he was doing it for the for the you know the betterment of the of the Proud Boys to protect them. That's that's nonsense. I, I just don't I just don't buy it. I really don't. Yeah, I don't know enough about uh, this particular case to to really judge one way or the other. But uh, you do have to question, and obviously this goes back to Jim Goad as, I guess, uh, I don't know if he's ever quite cops to this, but someone who kind of uh, fancies himself as somebody who likes to call it BS and likes to call it the hypocrisy of stuff. If uh, he doesn't call out or he's he's not willing to publicly kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to say lambast his boss for something he does or the guy who, I guess, employs him. For, uh, well, he well he sta he stated to me. I asked him what his take was on on Gavin McGinnis, and it wasn't a it wasn't a uh, you know I wasn't trying to get him to speak bad about Gavin McGinnis. I'm I'm a fan, and I wanted to do an interview of Gavin McGinnis, and that's why I brought him up. But he said, well, you know, and he named off all the things. Well, Gavin McGinnis gives me all my you know he gives me all my work, my money right now. He's the source of my income. He's this. He's that. And uh, I I don't know if he. I mean, I guess his point was is that. I like Gavin McGinnis and, you know, I have reasons, I have reasons to be loyal. So that's fine. But that's also gives you a reason not to give an honest take on, on why he left the proud boys and, and why he didn't stand up for the proud boys. Right. I mean, it's, it's obviously accepted that, uh, I mean, the guy that literally hired you, it's that you can have a, a, or at least publicly have a much more rosy opinion than you actually do. It's just that where, where I think it, it becomes a, a problem is that uh, if you're ultimately lying about it, when you're someone that likes to expose liars and hypocrites, you know, that's uh, right. I'm not. I'm not saying he could very well believe that as far as this goes, but I'm saying that uh, it very well could be the case that he also doesn't. I, I I don't think he believes it. I I honestly don't think he believes it. Now I'm not a mind reader, and I can't speak for anybody else. I can't say, hey, this guy doesn't, you know, this guy believes this or this guy believes that. But in my opinion, I I just don't see how he could believe it. Um, I th I think he's I think he's clever enough. He's intelligent enough. He's insightful enough to realize that it's it, the idea that Gavin McGinnis left the Proud Boys for the benefit of the proud boys and not himself is obviously bs complete bs and uh, i i just don't believe that he's he's fallen for that I, I think it's a convenient thing to say because again gavin mcginnis is is the source of his income it's the source of his career right now and uh he's got he's got strong motivations to take this position and i understand i completely understand i'm i'm glad i'm not in that position that i would have to take a position i don't i don't uh that i don't fully uh buy into but uh you know, and like you said, maybe he does buy into it, but I, I, I find it very difficult to believe. Again, it's another one of those situations where I'm just, I'm just not buying it. I'm just not. And uh, yeah. he's, you know, he's welcome to uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I, I, at this point, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I also should say that shifting gears a bit, that uh, kind of assessing, uh, or kind of going back to my assessment of uh, Jim Goad, is that uh, Jim Goad is a pretty anti, is an anti-Semitic person. Uh, the website he writes for is notoriously anti-Semitic countercurrents and I, I should say that i've always had misgivings about this and i've always had ambivalence about this but i i was trying to think that uh if you actually read his articles and kind of the way he he i guess uh utilizes his uh, anti-semitism if you will it almost seems like there it's almost just kind of contrarian like he's like uh he doesn't 
he, he seemingly does the thing which all of them do where he says that, uh, okay, well, a lot of bad things I'm just going to chalk up to Jews or I'm going to say a lot of our problems are emanate from Jews and I'm going to pay particular attention to uh, Jews who do bad things. But it ultimately just seems to be like he, he does like these kind of like weird kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, almost like tacky remarks where he's like, oh, I'm a good goy or, or these these Jews. And he seems to do it in like a, a, a kind of like a, there seems to be like some kind of sort of comedic bent to it, which I'm starting to wonder that it could just be the case that, uh, that uh, it's not as much there as him, like actually expressing his anti-Semitism as much as it's the case that uh, no, well, the people that are going to be uh, reading this website tend to be horrifically anti-Semitic. So why not just throw them some sort of red meat? Yeah. Which... I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think he know. I think he's playing to his audience. He knows there's a lot of anti-Semites that that listen to his uh, listen to his program and that, that read his article, and so he says these things to to appease his audience. I really think that's the whole point. I, I don't think it's. I don't. I mean, I, I might be wrong. Maybe he has some deep-seated anti-Semitism, but uh, I think a lot of it is is that he's simply playing to the crowd. Yeah, I, I should also say this is not to excuse him and say that he's not anti-Semitic. It's just to say that the way he conveys it seems to be he's doing it like kind of like a tacky manner just to like kind of uh, uh i don't know gin up his audience or give his get his give his audience some giggles which i find uh, just kind of reading this and I, I think one of a point of evidence for this is that if you look at a lot of his podcasts particularly when he does like monologues he doesn't seem to which i haven't listened to it uh, since he's uh since he uh, joined uh, gavin mcginnis's uh, free speech channel but uh, listening to it on podcast he he'll be critical of, of groups that uh I guess particularly African-Americans or blacks where some people would say, okay, that's racist, but he doesn't seem to do the same thing with the Jews, which or to Jewish people, which makes me wonder if uh, uh, in writing, that's where he likes to utilize it, which uh, I think there's a question there. Cause it seems like a, it doesn't seem quite as consistent. Yeah. It makes you wonder, it makes you wonder what his real feelings are. And to me, somebody who's supposedly a hundred percent honest in all ways and doesn't care what other people think, uh, you don't have to guess. You don't have to guess their motivations. You don't have to guess what they're what they're thinking and and why they're saying the things they're saying and why they're taking the positions they're taking. And if you do, then then that kind of uh, that kind of hurts the argument that they're being a hundred percent honest and that they have no filter and and no mask. Uh, yeah. Obviously, obviously that's not the case. Otherwise, none of those things would be necessary. There would be no speculation needed. Yeah, that's that's more of the kind of the point I'm trying to make. Which, I mean. Uh, a lot of anti-Semitism has the effect that it's ultimately you find a Jew or you find something bad and then you blame it on Jews, which, I mean, that's ultimately what it amounts to. And some of the people try to say it's more profound or it's not quite as uh, superficial or cursory as that, which it seems like if you read Goad, he almost just embraces that kind of like superficial or cursory, that kind of just cursory analysis of it. And he just kind of runs with it, which makes me wonder if uh, it's he doesn't quite actually believe this, you know? Right. That makes if that makes any sense because he'll just like blame Jews for something random and just throw out like these kind of like uh, little snipes at them, but he doesn't actually like typically doesn't go like uh, uh, any deeper in actually exposing him. Whereas the other people, well, it's ultimately just kind of superficial of just finding a Jew that they don't like that's uh, or finding a Jew who does something they don't like, but they'll also try to attribute uh, more, confer more meaning to it and give like a deeper analysis. Whereas he doesn't seem to do that, which makes me think that he's ultimately just kind of giving them red meat and this is just kind of fodder for them, which obviously portrays that obviously I think at the very least conveys that uh, he's being a little bit deceitful as far as his views go. And uh, he's trying to kind of drum up his audience, which I think uh, we could kind of call, which I think would kind of be part of the kind of the BS that uh, 
he claims to or he seems to really be against. Well, he, he claims he's anti-tribalism, but obviously if he's doing such things, then he's playing up the, 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 the tribalism in people. He, he's, he's, pulling, he's plucking the heartstrings of people that have anti-Semitic views. Uh, and, and he's using that to, to uh, garner favor and to get a, a crowd on his side. And so obviously, you know, if, if he's doing this, then he's not anti-tribalism at all. At least not, he may be, he may be but not in practice. Yeah, in practice, in practice, he uses it for his own advantage. I, I should say here that uh, I think anyone can read his what he's written about black people and say and kind of come uh, or it can probably intelligibly kind of concoct uh, what his views are on black people. I don't think it's that hard to do. But with Jews, it seems like you can't quite do the same thing, which I think which I I actually challenge anyone who's who's a fan of his uh, anti-Semitic or non-anti-Semitic, which seems kind of weird to say, but uh, to kind of to, to kind of test themselves, uh, kind of their knowledge of his writings to see if they they also kind of have the same experience. Where you know I can't quite uh, uh, flesh out exactly what it, this guy thinks of it, whereas I can do it with this, which I to me underscores that uh, there seems to be some sort of deceitfulness going on here. If if I had the opportunity to interview him again, and I, I'm I'm good one way or the other, I, I'm not. I'm not racing. I'm not rearing at the bit to interview him again, but if it happens, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll definitely ask him about the anti-Semitism, uh, and we'll we'll deep dive into that. But I, you know, he probably doesn't want to do another interview with me, especially after this conversation. And uh, that's fine. That's fine. If if he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, at this point, if we did another interview, he would have to contact me and, and express the fact that he wanted to do another interview with me. He didn't want to do another sit down uh, because I, I I've. You know, we had a nice long conversation. It went well, and and I think that that's that's good enough for me. Uh, I'm open to another conversation, but I'm not I'm not pressed about having one. So, but if if such a conversation were to occur again, I would definitely uh, I would definitely bring up the anti-Semitism, and we would discuss that. But that's the one thing I would I would definitely want to bring up. Right? Yeah, I would I would definitely like to. I don't know, maybe, maybe I could be wrong, but uh, I mean, obviously, if he gives kind of cleared out, fleshed out views here and uh, it doesn't quite uh, uh, correspond to what he's been that does say something, which I, I, I don't think he would even do anyway. I, I don't think so either. I think he and I probably had the last conversation we're going to have. I could be wrong, but that, that's, that's my prediction. Yeah. Which, is, I, which, again, is fine. Yeah, I think we should probably play the the clip of which kind of uh, in the in the interview that uh, CA did that uh, makes us suggest that uh, he's he's playing some games here. Yeah, go ahead, run that clip for me. Don't care about your opinion, <laughs> like it, it people is, care. People, what fascinates me about most humans is they care more about what other people think of them than they care about like whether they're true to themselves. That's one thing that I will always be divorced from most of humanity about. Most people care more about their reputation than whether they actually like esteem the decisions they make or whether they feel like a sellout or they're, they're betraying their true selves just to please other people. That's, I think, that's something that needs to be worked out neurologically. Well, I, I don't think it will be, and I'll tell you why, because we're, we're essentially herd animals. Uh, speak for yourself. I'm not a herd animal, and maybe you're not. But the point is, is that I'm saying human beings in general. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, until they find out the neurological roots of that and find a way to correct it, it's going to be that way. Yeah. So, last question. Okay. So, I, I think that, oh, yes. that, that's the end of the clip, by the way. I, I think we should say that uh, the thing that was probably most striking about that is that uh, when he kind of goes in his uh, 
he goes on a tangent on hurt, obviously kind of uh, uh, people caring more about what other people think than they do than uh, I guess uh, uh, sticking to their true selves or what they actually believe. And then when you interject about, oh, it's because herd animals, he immediately says, speak for yourself. You know, right. It's, right. it's pretty he, obvious he, in the sense that he's upset. He, yeah, he immediately took it as personal. Like I was saying, he was a herd animal or, or that somebody would think that. And, and he wanted to defend himself and make sure that everybody knew that he wasn't. So, um, yeah, <laughs> you make a big speech about how you, you should care about what you think and what you say and the positions you hold over your reputation and what other people think about you. And yet then you turn right around and become defensive when somebody says that human beings are herd animals and you internalize it and take it as a, as a slight or as a, as a commentary on you. When I, I thought it was fairly obvious, I thought it was blatantly obvious that I wasn't talking about him or anybody specific. I was talking about human beings in general. And I even clarified and he still, you know, kind of took the, took that position even after I clarified. So, I mean, you know, to me, that that denotes that he wants to seem like an individual, not just don't want to seem like an individual, be an individual. And, and if you're an individual and you truly don't care what other people think of you, then then don't worry about people thinking you're an individual. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I hope that doesn't sound too convoluted, but, no, you know, sense. yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of being an individual, and not caring what other people think is not caring whether people think you're an individual or not. Yeah, I mean, when you say that you think in when you said there that uh, people are herd animals, you're obviously just talking about people in general. <clears throat> That's our general disposition. It's not saying that everyone functions that way. And he immediately takes it as if he's saying that everyone functions that way or that he interprets it that you're saying him in particular functions that way, which it's not at all what he's saying. It's like it's like you're saying that, uh, oh, men tend to be taller than women as if you're and then somebody uh, inferring from that that you think that uh, there's no way that one woman one particular woman could be taller than one particular man you know well it, yeah and it's part of the and there was a guy his name is uh he went by atheism is unstoppable uh and his name was Devin Tracy and he would he actually sold shirts with the not all it said not all and then a circle and a line through it and that's because anytime you make a statement of fact no matter what that statement of fact is and everybody can agree on that statement of fact <laughs> And nobody disagrees, but somebody will say not all. So if I say men are taller than women, some knuckleheaded jackass or some dingbat is going to pipe up every single time, is going to pipe up and say, not all men are taller than all women, as if, as if I was ever making that argument. Yeah. And I, I, you know what? I refuse to make a disclaimer every single time I make a statement of fact. If you're too goddamn stupid to know that I'm talking about in general, then that's your problem. Then you're, you're not worth my time anyway. Yeah, I was obviously just pointing out there that he was giving that fallacy, which I, I think we should also add that uh, the kind of weird irony in it is that uh, he's accusing he's, he's essentially accusing you of projecting there when saying that to oh, speak for yourself. Well, right. case, him getting mad at it is ultimately just him projecting, you know? Yeah, it shows insecurity. It shows deep, deep seated insecurity. And so, you know, I, I mean. I know you like this guy and I know that you really enjoy his, his, his uh, comedy and his writing. And, and I'm not telling you not to, to continue on, you know, soldier on. If you, if this is, if you like what he's, this guy's putting out, or if you like some of the stuff he's putting out and, and some of the stuff you don't like, or whatever the case may be, feel free to continue with that. I, I'm not discouraging you on that. Yeah. I, I'm just saying on a personal level, after sitting down, having a conversation with the guy, I'm I'm not nearly as impressed with him as 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 you were, and I, I don't know if you still are or not. But but I, I think that uh, I think I think I've made up some made, you know I've come up with some valid points, some valid arguments about his personality, and possible personality flaws, uh, character flaws, and I, I I think you see that. Maybe I could be wrong. You you tell me if I'm wrong. 
No, I, I think it's definitely correct because I think a big a big reason why I kind of extolled him is because I thought he could just call out BS no matter uh, how insidious I thought some of his views could be. But and that's obviously a big reason why I like you so much. But I'm starting to think that he ultimately that ultimately just could be kind of a facade, and it could be the case that he's ultimately a very big animal, a big very big herd animal, uh, uh, as as evidenced by him just taking kind of the contrarian position. So in that sense, I'm starting to kind of lose. I, I think I've kind of repudiated my original view on him, thinking that uh, he he's actually like a he actually has truly kind of novel positions, and they're unique to him. And I'm starting to think that his kind of uh, contrarianness, it's a lot of it is uh, ultimately just him ult- is ultimately just contrived. And there I lose a lot of respect because that is really something I like to see in people that uh, they don't mind going against the herd. And I really do kind of keep a, uh, a, a watchful eye on these type of people and try to really kind of sense them out. And I guess in some ways, maybe it shows that my kind of discerning skills on this are faulty. If I thought, if I thought he was ultimately this, if I thought that he ultimately kind of fit that bill, you know, so in that sense, I lose uh, some esteem for him, but uh, I would still say that he's still, regardless, he's still a very good writer. Right? I think he is one of the best writers in the dissonant right, and I think that he's ultimately a very good comedian. And as you said, he's also a uh, a very good conversationalist. So, yeah, he's funny I and mean, he's clever. I'm not saying he's not. And and, and I enjoyed listening to the to the uh, the one podcast that I listened to of his. So I, I'm definitely not saying that I I don't have any major problems with the guy. It's just I'm not I'm I was I had a more critical eye and and I was less impressed with him than than you were or maybe perhaps some of his other fans, and this whole idea that he talks shit about his fans, uh, and and that just shows how cool he is. Enough of that already, please. Uh, you know, there's so many different rock stars and movie stars and televisions, you know, tele big screen and small screen stars that they they love to talk about how they talk shit about their fans and how their fans are morons and they can't stand their fans. Uh, and I'm not saying he's saying that, but, you know, show some respect for your fans. I, I, I watched a panel discussion on, on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David and Jeff Green and, and the various other people that played on uh, J.B. Smooth, I think, was part of it. And it was a panel discussion on a stage in front of an audience. And they got up there and they talked shit about, the, the, about, the, about their uh, fans and, and what a bunch of fucking morons their fans were. And then they, oh, yeah, we love our fans. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I mean, fuck you. You know, we're if if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have shit. You you wouldn't exist. You wouldn't be you wouldn't be a, a multimillionaire. You would have nothing, right? And and so the you know the idea that this this hipster cool, uh, I'm too fucking cool for my fans. Well, if you're too cool for your fans, then then you know stop being in movies, stop being in television, stop doing stand up comedy, stop writing, stop doing things that you need fans for. Or yeah. or or shut the hell up. And show some appreciation for your fans. And I'm not saying you have to kiss your fans' asses. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not sure. I'm not saying there's not some dipshits out there that you that are your fans that you're not crazy about. But to to completely disrespect all your fans and, and act like you're above them, you know, fuck you. You're not above anybody. You're not impressing me. And, yeah, I mean, uh, so so he did that. Well, let me finish. He, he he did that a little bit, and that that bothered me. And he didn't do that in the conversation with me, but he did it. He did it in the podcast that I listened to. And uh, I, I this he comes off as you know you, you know what I'm trying to say I think it's just yeah I I find things distasteful I find it very distasteful yeah I I think I do get what you say there and uh, I might actually say that to a lot of the people that read that kind of stuff and kind of get into white nationalist anti-Semitism to be fair I actually think those people are kind of uh, kind of morons <laughs> they have a lot of problems as well but uh, for him to and I think this kind of shows that uh, <clears throat> kind of the dishonesty in him. 
in that if he thinks they're kind of morons, but he also and doesn't realize that uh, if if all his fans are morons and they're all reading him and that's where they get all their political viewpoints from, then that probably doesn't dawn that well on him as a, I guess, as a political commentator, as a writer. But I, I, I have heard him do that. There was kind of like a weird thing with that. I, I would also say there, though, that uh, perhaps you could kind of chalk that up or, or at least kind of the way I'm assessing it, you could kind of chalk that up to his narcissism that I guess he's very open about. And it doesn't uh, uh, quite, uh, uh, it doesn't bode disastrously for kind of what uh, I think is kind of one of the hypocrisies in him, which is just that he tries to come off as this guy or he purports to be a guy who can kind of sniff out bullshit. Well, he's ultimately just being the biggest bullshitter ever. So in that sense, I don't think that's a, a, one of the most egregious things he could do. And that's something that I would probably have uh, probably cop to or conceded to before we actually, before you actually interviewed him and pointed out the things or, or pointed out to, uh, certain observations about him. I would like to say kind of shifting gears here that uh, the, the one thing I find that uh, maybe some people don't find it plausible that uh, it's contrived, but if you're having a conversation with someone like you were and you literally everything you say, the other person essentially agrees with, but takes a little bit of a different position. It's, it's seemingly trying to be a little bit more novel. Doesn't that just seem, doesn't that just uh, kind of seem like somebody's just kind of BSing there? Or can you actually think of a conversation where I'm asking other people, can they actually think of a conversation where they've talked to someone, maybe like a friend at like a bar or something like political and they agree with every position, but they want to have their own spin on it. So it just seems and not the, and you not, and uh, you end up not thinking that they're just not a pompous ass. That's just trying to seem more profound. I mean, has that ever happened to anyone? I, I personally can't imagine it. I personally can't imagine it. So, um, you know, if that's the if that is the true Jim Goad, then I, again I, I fail to be impressed. Uh, I like his writings, I like his comedy, but as a person, he's lacking. And uh, I realize that's part of his shtick and how he's cool and he's an outsider and he's a loner and he goes against the grain. But apparently, all the you know, no, I can't say all of it, but apparently, a, a large portion of that is manufactured. It's plastic. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's a put on job, and I I don't I don't. Uh, I don't put on, I don't uh, I don't value put on jobs. Right. I, I think it goes back to the analogy you made in I guess Ohio State with the kind of the conventional and the unconventional kind of uh I, I guess kind of norms or the I guess clubs or whatever you want to call it where or social groups rather where you had the conventional ones that uh, I mean it, at least they some extent to uh, realize that they could be following or that they could be herd animals, but the unconventional people they thought that it, at the very least it seems if you're gonna go against the grain and you want to be a contrarian that uh, you should also not be susceptible to any sort of norms as that seems like the most pernicious aspect of it, or one would think that would be the most pernicious aspect of it. And that's, but obviously that's ultimately what they're doing. So it's not quite clear what exactly they're accomplishing. And the same, I think phenomenon happens with Jim Goad, where if you like him as kind of this contrarian, which that's part of the, that's a big reason why I liked him, but it's ultimately the case that his contrarianism is kind of contrived because it's just what people want to hear. It's not that he's like that and people just want to hear it then I think you do have to really start to question someone's motives and start to wonder if uh, their shtick is really, to what extent is their shtick just kind of facade and uh, really to what extent can you view them as a, I don't know, an, an original thinker, which I think I'm starting to, which that's really kind of my, my reassessment here. That uh, I, I don't see him as really kind of an, as original and as novel as a thinker as I do. I think he's ultimately just kind of part of the herd just as much as anyone, as much as he would uh the, the stuff he basically bemoans the most, he ultimately is. 
So let, let me criticize myself for a moment. I, I, the bad thing about me and being around me is I ruin things for people. And I, I hope I haven't ruined Jim Goad for you. I really do. I, 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 am, I am a killjoy. There's no doubt about it. I'm a killjoy. I ruin things for people. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm the guy that uh, shows little kids that uh, it's not Santa Claus sliding down the chimney. It's, it's the parents putting presents and packages in the middle of the night while they're sleeping. And I don't mean to be that way, but I am who I am. I am who I am. And so I, I hope I haven't ruined, ruined Jim Goat. I've ruined a lot of things for a lot of people uh, because I show, I show them things about people and about things and situations that either they haven't seen or they don't want to see um, or they've ignored. And I force them to see it. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I hope I haven't done that with you with Jim Goat. No. Or at least, at least not to the point where you can no longer enjoy his, his, uh, his uh, writing and his comedy. Let me put it this way, which uh, comes from Jim Goat himself, which I believe he said this in your interview, where he's talking about myths and that he doesn't like the idea that society basically functions via myths. That's uh, obviously because there's just something just uh, uh, deceitful about that, which uh, obviously he, he purports to not like. I think with the same thing with Jim Goat, it's that I also... I also really try not to like myths. I try to see people as they are as kind of like uh, whatever, whatever that is, is kind of the, I want to see like the noumena of, of whoever the person is to kind of borrow a construct. But uh, I feel like with Jim Goad that once I realized kind of the, the myth or kind of, kind of, I see that uh, he's kind of his own sort of myth and that he's kind of just uh, BSing some things. I think there I, I lose some esteem for it, but I think the whole point is that I actually really want to get to the bottom of this. And this is kind of uh I, I hate this. I hate people when people say this because it's usually ironic. But to, I guess me as a truth seeker, so in that sense, I don't. I don't fault you because I do want to get the truth on someone. So in in no way, though. Though obviously this will uh, 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 inver adversely affects a lot of the kind of esteem I give him and uh, uh, and view him from. But uh, it it will not. It doesn't sour uh, anything in general for me because I want to get to this, and I'm probably going to enjoy Jim Goat less. But uh, that it is what it is. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought that, and and that's why before we even spoke before, and I told you my, I gave you my assessment of of him and the interview. Uh, I was I kind of hesitated a little bit before we spoke because, and I thought long and hard what whether I, you know how how uh, forthright I should be with you on it, because I I didn't want to have that effect on you, or at least I don't know I was conflicted, conflicted about what type of effect my honesty about Jim Goat and and the interaction I had with him would have on you. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm the guy that, you know, we're, you know, Wizard of Oz, I'm pulling the curtain back and showing the old man behind the instruments. And, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm a, a bit of a killjoy, you know? Yeah. I guess, uh, I, yeah. I, I'm the kid that watches a, a magic trick and I try to find out how it was done. And if I can find out, I'll definitely find out. Even right. though it ruins it, even though it ruins it. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question. To what extent uh, should you leave some sort of mystique uh, with people and should you let them kind of uh, keep this going? But uh, I, I, I would say that I'm definitely someone who really wants to get to the bottom of things and tries to accept uh, reality for what it is. So in that sense, uh, I, I think this is ultimately a, a good thing. And uh, obviously, I, I heeded all your critique. Obviously, if I thought that your uh, criticisms of him uh, were unfounded, then there obviously are things that... Uh, that uh, you or people that I like or people or ideas I like very much that you find unfounded that uh, you'll give your kind of two cents on it. And I'll definitely heed it all the time, but a lot of them, I don't think it's founded with Goad. Unfortunately, I just thought it was actually founded in that uh, 
there is actually something going on there. No one can really, really take like a contrarian view where they deviate just ever so slightly on so many things. Uh, and for you to think that, uh, and for them to actually be genuine on their positions, I just find it too far-fetched. Well, and the, and the idea that he says he's apolitical. First of all, folks, and anybody that says they're apolitical are full of shit. Yeah. Nobody is apolitical. If you like, if you want your trash to be picked up on time, and properly and not trash all over the damn street and 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 the, the the trash men just making a total clusterfuck of it you're political because the only way you can get those guys to pick up that trash properly on time and not get it all over and drop trash all over the ground and, and make you know bang bang as the, the lids as loud as possible to where nobody can sleep and, and they're disrupting the neighborhood <laughs> the only way that you can accomplish that is through politics is through talking to your your local councilman or the the mayor or or city council whatever whatever that's the only, that's the only way you can do it oh i just spilled something on me okay so that's the only way you can do it uh the, politics is the way we the way the world goes around and so the idea that i'm apolitical that's, that's that doesn't exist Apolitical doesn't exist. If you want, if you uh, if you want a a, a a stoplight in your hometown because, you know, you have a small town and there's no stoplight, and there's there's accidents happening, that's political. You yeah. you, you have to take political action to make that happen. Um, anything. If you want lower taxes, I mean, if you just want to throw yourself at, at the the kind of the mercy of the court, the whim of of uh, of the political apparatus, then yeah, you can be apolitical. And just yeah. let them do. This let them steamroll over you, as much as they want, whenever they want, however they want. But if you want to have any control over your life in modern civilization, or even in primitive civilization, um, you have to you have to have a political a component to to your personality. There's just no other way. Yeah, I, I definitely concur with all of that. But uh, it, it seemed like he was trying to say like uh, I I couldn't I couldn't quite grasp this, and I'm not quite sure if his writings if he's actually written on this, but I, I have yet to find it where. He seemed to be saying that politics, I'm apolitical because politics is a dud because you actually can't influence anything. And I, or, or that uh, the government's so controlled that you can't influence anything, which I, I guess my question there is why even write on stuff if we're basically all some sort of slaves to the system, you know? Yeah. Which, why are you, why are you even, a, why are you even a, a commentator? Why are you writing? Why do you write about anything? If you can't have no control over anything and you can't really exert what's your point. Yeah, I mean, the analogy I'm coming up with, it's like someone who really wants to fly. It, it's almost like if you actually believe this, it's almost like you you looking at somebody who really wants to fly and you ultimately thinking that and trying to find arguments against gravity, you know? Right. <laughs> it's it's like something like that, which I, 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 I mean, obviously, it seems too far fetched to actually happen or to be what actually happens in America, where it's a neat fact that uh, 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 politics is ruled by some sort of like a deep state or I'm not even quite sure we'd suggest and uh, something like a president amounts to nothing, which I mean, obviously, that's the extreme, which he seems to be endorsing. Uh, I think the president has influence, but he's not a king. And yes, the deep state does exert a lot of power and manipulates all sides. There's no doubt about that. And the deep state, people act like this deep state is something mythical. The deep state is simply people that have, have jobs in, in the government and uh, they, they, they're able to manipulate the government in ways that, uh, that, that, you know, put things in a direction that they want it to go. Yeah. Which uh, I, I guess more so, I, I definitely concur with your point that uh, the idea of being uh, apolitical is just nonsense. If you're actually suggesting any, if you're commenting or opining on politics, it just doesn't make any sense. You're just, you're just uh, contradicting. You're just uh, or, or contradicting the very definition of politics, you know? 
If you want to be apolitical, don't have an opinion on anything ever. Right. Period. Period. Don't have don't have a, an opinion on anything in society because yeah. everything is politics. Everything. Yeah. I I guess shifting gears a bit. This is a, something I noticed in the the interview when you were talking about the the. Uh, you asked him uh, what are your views on rape or sex or somehow drifted towards that. And he thought it was both. And he took like this very kind of convoluted position, which I'm, I'm not quite sure why he did this word. His, the gist of what he was saying seemed to be kind of like a Nietzschean sense and that he seemed to be saying that uh, sex is uh, part of our sex, sex is part of our innate drive. So when you, I guess, uh, have sex, you ultimately suffice an innate drive and that creates some sort of power or a feeling of power. And there, in that sense, he thought it was about sex was about uh, rape or uh, uh, rape was about sex and power, which really just made no sense. And I felt like there, and perhaps it's not like him trying to like convolute it, and which maybe it is trying to take a control. It, it, it felt like he was. It, it felt like he was hedging his bets. It felt like yeah. he was trying to say two things at the same time. Yeah, I I kind of interpreted him as just trying to be as profound as possible, but I, I think he had enough sense to realize like like the gist like the gist of his answer. Uh, or what the gist of his answer amounted to, and that he just said it anyway, just to seem more profound, which maybe that's not quite as much of him just uh, uh, being a contrarian and him being forced to do it. Or, I mean, maybe it ultimately is. If you're just trying to sound profound, then you're ultimately bullshitting some things, you know? Right. But right. Uh, I, I never say things that try to sound profound. People, if, if somebody thinks that I sound like an idiot because of the, some, something I've said or sound like a fool, that's fine. That's my position. Yeah. I'm not trying to impress people. I'm not trying to convince people that I'm wise or that that I have some you know unique uh, insight. I simply state the way I feel, and if people accept that, they accept it, and if they don't, they don't. That's it. And yeah. uh, he obviously he obviously doesn't do that, and uh, he's exposed that about himself. Now, again, I don't have I, I have to keep giving this disclaimer. I don't dislike the guy. I don't have I don't, I'm kind of in, when it, to be honest with you, you were impressed with Jim Goad. You really like Jim Goad. I'm I'm pretty much indifferent on Jim Goad. I'm just I'm just showing the other side. I'm showing the credit. You know, you, we were talking about it, about him, and you really liked him, and you were giving the the pluses. I'm simply giving the honest criticism and the minuses. I, I'm not as impressed, and uh, it's not that I dislike him. I'm I'm indifferent. I'm just being honest about criticism. Right. Which uh, I mean, I guess that's probably the best. Uh, which I guess, and if anything, that shows that it was probably better for you you to be the one interviewing him instead of me, because I'm obviously a bigger fan of his than you are. Right. And obviously also went on monologues. So he did kind of like monologue-esque answers, which is okay, which obviously uh, would have been, not been quite as amenable to having three people there. I, it, yeah, it might have got a little messy with three people trying to talk at the same time. Yeah. I, I should say what I find, uh, a, another thing I've always kind of found interesting that uh, he references this a lot, and I don't even quite know what to think of this because it just seems too simplistic, but to uh, he says that a uh, kind of watershed moment in his life, which I guess he was uh, when he was still working as a journalist, but uh, he was starting to have some misgivings about it, is when he interviewed Tom Metzger, who's, I guess, uh, I don't know if they, that many people even know who he is. He, he actually interviewed him as well, but uh, or interviewed him on his... Uh, if you if you want to know about Tom Metzger, go on, go on YouTube and type in Morton Downey Jr. Tom Metzger. And uh, and there's a the really interesting uh, show, one one of Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. was a talk show host out of New York, and finally he became syndicated after a while. But he was when I first started watching him, he was out of New York, and uh, he I believe he was a, I believe this particular episode was at a, out of the Apollo Theater, and in Harlem. And so 
check out uh, just just type in Morton Downey Jr. and Tom Metzger, and uh, you, you know you'll get a you'll get a real good feel for what Tom Metzger's like. Yeah, that's a that's probably a better assessment of him than I could have given. But uh, I, I guess he did an interview for the early '90s, and he taught, he kind of like uh, he he did kind of a snide remark, and he said, "Oh, I bet you're not really into uh, equality." And Tom Metzger uh, uh, re- retorted with, "Oh, well, neither of our lids elites." And he thought this really uh, woke him up and showed him that uh, or that's uh, I guess seemingly that's a kind of like a liberal virtue, like equality is ultimately a dud, and that people don't really adhere to it, which. I just find like I, I can't quite I can't quite wrap my head around that uh, that's actually a watershed such a watershed moment uh, as he seems to portray it as you know like it's pretty obvious that there are always going to be people that are not equal and I think a lot of liberals can accept that and I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of wondering if if it's ultimately the case that he wasn't quite as uh, influenced by this and I realize maybe it's the case he is then what exactly was he trying to go with there you know it it just seemed kind of an odd remark like why exactly would you find that to be so so profound you know. It is on. It is on. I'm not, you know what? Uh, Tom Metzger has always rubbed me the wrong way. He's always rubbed me the wrong way. I've never liked the guy. Uh, Same thing with David Duke. Uh, Set aside their, their, their political or their, or their racial beliefs. There was just something about their personalities that I I don't find uh, sincere and I find sleazy and uh, I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand how that could be a big thing in his life, but apparently according to him, it was. Yeah, it just seems odd, which I, I mean, maybe it was, and maybe some people could kind of lash out and say, oh, you're saying something so stupid right now. But it's, it, I, I don't even quite know what to quite know what to exactly think about it. But I, it's just another thing where I've always wondered, because he always says that, and I'm like, you were really influenced by that. And I, I just kind of, uh, that kind of came through my head just now, which it, it just makes no sense as, as to why that would actually be the case. <laughs> you know, it makes no sense to me, but apparently it made sense to him. Um, so, I, unless you have more to say, I, th- I think we've pretty much said everything we have to say about uh, about Jim Goad and about the interview. Um, if you have more to say, you're welcome to. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's there's really anything else I I kind of want to say about him. But uh, um, I mean, obviously, I should uh, put out the disclaimer that uh, there's still a part of me that enjoys Jim Goad for what he is. It's just that I'm starting to think that uh, he's he's not this this kind of uh, I mean, as, as aforementioned, he constantly talks about how transformative something like Beyond Good and Evil was, and I imagine Nietzsche's ideas in general, and he tries to encapsulate a lot of them, which I, I just don't think he really does. I think he's, I think he's, I think he's just as susceptible to these kind of herd pressures, and I think if you were, if, if you're like me, and uh, you kind of thought that the, the most awesome quality about Jim Goat is that uh, he's kind of a contrarian, he's kind of a contrarian naturally, and uh you can hear hear what he has to say, and he can kind of uh, uh, upend a lot of political. Or he's not susceptible to a lot of uh, political or uh, seemingly nonsensical political things. I just don't think that's true. And I, well, I, well, he's I, a he's a contrarian. I'm just not so it's so sure it's it's natural. I think I think it's again manufactured and contrived. Yeah, at least a good at least a good portion of it. Yeah, I think that's probably the uh, that all, that's all I, I think we probably uh, had to say on uh, Jim Goad. Now, I will say one more time, he's welcome. If he wants to discuss this, he's more than welcome to. I'm not going to reach out to him. If he wants to reach out to me and have another conversation, that's fine. I'm open to that. I'm not against that. But uh, I've pretty much said I have everything I have to say to Jim Goad. Um, the, the interview went well. I have no problem with him. I wish him well. 
this is just honest, my honest take on him and his personality and the, and the conversation that we had. So it is what it is. And, uh, you know, no, no hard feelings. I, I, I wish him well again. I, I hope he does well. And uh, he's not, he's been very successful. So, um, you know, let him continue on with that. But, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that I won't listen to any of his stuff. I will. I will. I know. I know I will. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's my position on Jim Goad. All right. Well, you again, this has been the Conservative Atheist Podcast, and I've been joined with my, by my producer and my co-host, Brighter Later. And uh, we're going to wrap it up. You can find us. Uh, we drop a, a podcast per day, Monday through Friday. And they usually run anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, two, sometimes even two and a half hours or almost three. It all depends on the guest. It all depends on the topic uh, that's being discussed. It depends on a lot of things. And so if you're interested, please listen and please subscribe. Give us feedback, whether it's negative, po negative feedback, positive feedback, or anywhere in between. Uh, we enjoy the feedback. We embrace it all. So not a problem. Uh, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, probably about 25 platforms, uh, we're on Apple Podcast. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, uh, Google Google Music, uh, Amazon Music. Every every possible podcast platform you can think of, we exist. Just type in "conservative atheist," look for the clown face, and if you find the clown face, you found me. All right, folks. We will talk to you again, and uh, you stay safe and have a great day.